look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmally, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. How about you, Faisal? Not bad. Thank God it's warmed up. Holy, it was cold last week. You know, yeah, yeah, truly. I'm glad we're through that. But um, as I recall the balance of this winter, it's actually been pretty good. You know, we, we usually get a couple of bad weeks. Hopefully that's it because <laughs> it was no fun for sure, particularly on top of COVID. At minus 40. Yeah, it was chilly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I had a weird experience. Um last weekend okay i was in banff and we had an earthquake in close to banff I, I knew it was your fault i felt that did you really that's the first time yeah i was standing literally in the lobby of the banff springs hotel and so this is how i described the experience it was either a big truck hit the side of the the hotel okay or it was a train that ripped through there in about a second because it Everybody stopped, looked around. You're going, what just happened? Wow. And we didn't know what it was, right? And I don't know how long it was, 20 minutes before I heard it was a, it was an earthquake. So there, I've done it. I've experienced it. I don't need to do it again. You're that done? Was fine. Yep. You're good? Mm-hmm. Mark that off on your bucket list? Done. Yep. All right. So that was Wow. That was cool. Cool that there was no damage or anybody hurt, right? That was cool. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, let's we've talk got about... A, we've got a very interesting show today. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, there's a scam going on in Alberta that mm-hmm. people should be aware of, and I think it's our, our duty to to inform the public of what this uh, cryptocurrency scam that's happening uh, right now. So we're going to talk about that. Right. And we also have um, one of the biggest ways people retire is by selling their business. Yes. And so how do you do that? Right. What's What are the things you have to be aware of, thinking about? How do and you how prepare? do you maximize the value? Right? Yeah. How do you get the most amount of money yeah. out of the sale of that business? That's important. Yeah, and so it's, we've got you know, a great show today talking about those two pieces, and I'm looking forward to it. You want to stick around for that. And uh, um, what an interesting week in the markets because we're still talking about, oh, I don't know, the same stuff we talked about for the last two weeks, potential uh, vaccine deployment on the increase. People are, are, are seeing benefits out of that. People are seeing uh, more conversation about stimulus uh, yeah, the fundamentals are there. But there was a bit of an earthquake this uh, this week. See how I tied that Ooh, in? That was That's good. clever, hey? Very good. Years of media training to do Look that. Look at that. Okay. <laughs> Not really. No, um, it sucked, actually. Yeah. It's okay. Keep it going. Inflation <laughs> and interest rates. They shook the market a little bit it this did. week. It did. Yeah. It scared people thinking about, oh, no, it's coming. And surprising. They were surprised about it. Where the, Even the bond market kind of went and said, mm, of course. It's because it comes in fits and spurts, though, right? So what happened is the you know you got a whole bunch of things happening inflation concerns you you got people selling off bonds driving yields higher and all of a sudden the market focuses on it and then you get whoa oh right it's a pylon kind of a thing it's yeah. interesting because nothing fundamentally has changed yeah right there's still a ton of stimulus expected to come yeah right we actually got I think good news this past week on vaccinations in particular with Pfizer and Moderna you know how they had to be stored at such cold temperatures yeah. Well, the research now indicates that it doesn't. 
So that should help with logistics and, and distribution of those mm-hmm. products. So I don't know. You know, it, it, it's just interesting to see how those kinds of things can take on a life of itself and shake the markets for a period of time. You can tell the uh, the inflation is impacting on people when my dad calls me up and says, Faisal, did you see the gas prices have gone up? Right. Yeah, I saw it, Dad. Okay, that's all I wanted to tell you. Click, hung up. He hung up on me. <laughs> I love your dad. That was his holy piece of the card. <laughs> like, I don't drive by a gas station and didn't notice it. He just had to tell me that. Click, hung up, left. Yeah. Okay, Dad, I, thank you for the inflation update. Taking the horse and buggy to work every day. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's going to see an impact. And what people have to understand is that there is multiple prongs of inflation probably going to come out. Yeah. Number one is... As an economy grows, inflation happens, and so that's part of it. We've had a logistic and and supply chain freeze Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so you have less supply of goods coming out. And if you've got more money, keep in mind, this is the first recession in history where people's income on average haven't gone down. It's gone up. It's gone up versus down in a recession. So there's more money to spend. You're spending more money on fewer goods, you're bound to have inflation. Prices are going to go up. And many business owners want to recuperate those losses that they had through the pandemic. So they're not going to lower their prices, generally speaking, if they've got a flush of money coming in. Yeah. So we did see inflation in Canada, right? So um, last week we saw inflation for January at 1%. And it was accelerating. Mm -hmm. Now 1% is still well below what the Bank of Canada wants to see, right? An average of 2 but it, it's interesting. I think most economists and analysts would agree that that number is going to continue to accelerate, and it's probably going to hit 3%, maybe even through 3%. Yep. Now, for all the reasons you mentioned, but, but also remember, when we measure inflation on a year-over-year basis, we're at some point in the very near future here going to be measuring against periods like months that were pandemic months. Correct. Where inflation was probably is negative. Yes. Right? It's deflation. Deflation. And so there's a base effect. We call that a base effect that's going to affect it. Now, I would say that the um, Bank of Canada, as an example, likely knows that that's coming and is not going to change policy as a result of that. And they've all said that. They've all said that, and yeah, and, and including the U.S. Fed. So they're going to let that sort of transitory effect run through. But as a consumer, expect to see it. And one of the areas we're going to feel it is in commodities and things like oil. Right, so yeah, you're going to pay more at the pump here um, for a little while, yeah. and perhaps going forward. Right, remember the base effect we had negative, we had negative oil numbers back last May. Correct. Right, so all of these things are going to play. When a role. Oil was when gas was so cheap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one could drive anywhere. Right, that's why it was so cheap. <laughs> exactly. Right. Now everybody's driving. Right, price goes up. Yep. Exactly. And so you're going to see more and more of that, and that's going to be that's going to be a concern. You know, in the markets as well, Dave. There's been some interesting pieces Friday. Um, the old company John Deere, now just called Deere, came out with their numbers, and they're saying that they've got a forecast growth of mm-hmm. over twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're not considered to be a high tech company, right? They're considered to be old tech. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> and they're growing. So this is now going back to the basics. This is a good bellwether to say, hey, John Deere and their and their products are going to start to see more of it as. The economy starts to grow. That's an that that kind of should give some information to people saying, "Hey, hang on, wait a minute. We're not going to get in a lot more trouble. We're going to have more volatility, but we're not going to have a lot more trouble when companies like that continue to move their estimates higher and see growth happening at a, at a pace. And twenty percent plus is is a good number where the markets loved it and they they rewarded them early in the in the trading day on on Friday. Yeah. 
And, you know, we did our conference call recently. We talked about the economic dashboard, and one of the things were valuations, right? So mm -hmm. there's lots of concern about valuations in the markets, and valuations, I suppose, get adjusted in a number of different ways. There's a whole bunch of moving pieces here, but one of them is earnings, right? So if you're talking about price earnings multiples, the way you can bring that ratio down is by increasing your earnings. And what we have seen in this fourth quarter is uh, companies, it's probably a combination of analysts being very conservative in their estimates, Yep. right? And uh, even companies in those that provided guidance, providing guidance, but they're beating their earnings expectation. And as you said, forward guidance is also accelerating, mm -hmm. right? So it's gonna be an interesting bit of a, uh, a dance here as the market adjusts, as we're coming, you know, bringing the economies back on stream to see what the valuations are actually sitting at. Now, don't forget valuations are also influenced by things like interest rates. Yeah. Central banks have been very clear about the fact that they want to keep interest rates anchored to pretty low. Now, maybe they have pulled forward a little bit with the success of the recovery of the economy. They pull forward when central banks might act, but it's not this year, yeah. not according to anybody or any central bank that I'm reading. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling the next six months um, media whack-a-mole. Okay. And they're going to say, oh, here's a problem, and then we have to hit it. And there's another problem, here we have to hit it. And then you're going to see the markets react to that. Right. So you're going to see this, this, this pop-up of stuff, inflation, and then cryptocurrency, and then mm -hmm. Robinhood, and then GameStop, and then we can continue going on with more yep. and more the, the topic du jour. It's going to be literally 15 minutes of fame for different things that are going to try to spook the average investor out. Or suck them in even worse. Yeah. Right, suck That's them in a good even point. worse. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, listen, we got to make sure um, uh, that we, you got to bulletproof yourself. So what you've said is, is not unique to this period. Correct. Right? What we're talking about is unique to this period, but this stuff goes on all the time. That's right. So how in the heck do you get a 30-year retirement and protect yourself and bulletproof yourself from that? Yeah, we're going to discuss that on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. If you're interested in cryptocurrency, you got to stick around after the break because the latest scam might get you. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Before the break, um, Faisal, I, I teased a little bit about interest in cryptocurrency and how to avoid being scammed. There's, so, there's a huge interest right absolutely. now with all the buzz about cryptocurrency. And what concerns me is that there are cryptocurrency scams happening, mm -hmm. and we've got one here in our own province. Yeah, I mean, if it's a hot topic in finance, there's probably going to be a scam attached to it. Anyways, we're very fortunate to have Hillary uh, McMeekin, who's the Director of Communications and Investor Education at the Alberta Securities Commission, back with us today. And Hillary, thanks for joining us uh, again. We appreciate your time for sure. We're going to jump right into this because I want to understand a little bit about what the latest scam is. Let's let's make sure nobody falls victim to this cryptocurrency scam. Sure, absolutely. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so, I mean, one particular one that we and we put out an alert and we actually put it out across the country. So uh, and it came to our attention, just as you said, um, online, Kijiji and other and other sources, there is ads running, ads running, sort of promising, you know, this super, this individual was super experienced and and accredited an accredited trader. That was the language they used in their advertisement, 
um, in a variety of digital assets like Bitcoin and altcoins and, and even referenced binary options. And um, so he sort of sold it as this is guaranteed, absolutely the way you're going to make, you know, 95 percent win mm-hmm. rate he referenced. And um, I say he, I don't know who really is behind the advertisement, but um, our investment fraud task force, which is a it's a group of investigators and other enforcement experts across the country, jumped on it the moment they saw it. They shared it across the country. They dug into it. They saw that he wasn't registered to sell um, or to trade securities, this individual or the name of the individual in the ad. And there was a number of red flags in the advertisement. So we quickly jumped on it and put out an alert. The Investment Fraud Task Force also jumped on it and contacted Kijiji, mm-hmm. and Kijiji pulled the ads down. So we know that they were they worked with us. They pulled those ad down, ads down, but we know that they come up, just as you said, Faisal, like they're they're propping it or coming up anywhere, right? We're seeing it across online channels. So, Absolutely. Uh, so this is the one that really jumped out for us most recently. Um, and, and, we, and we put out an alert mostly to say there's a few key things you need to know, right? Would it be helpful if I walked through what those key things Let, are? Yeah, let's go through those red flags because I think it's going to be interesting when you go through these red flags because people are going to say, well, of course, that makes yeah. sense. Right. We've heard about this stuff all the time. So then why do we keep on putting out these red flags if you know it's a red flag? So right. so uh, uh, the opportunity here right now, I think, for us, Dave, is to explain to people that they think something is good mm-hmm. and it's suitable for them right. when all you can think of is profit. Right. Everything is suitable when it goes up. Right. That's right. Until it doesn't. Right. And this is where I want to kind of highlight these red flags so people get this information again. Because the emotion of buying will overrule the logic of not buying. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go right, through them, right. Hillary, one by one. Sure. The first one, please, please ignore promises of guaranteed high returns with little or no risk. So generally, the higher the return, the higher the risk. Uh, no, and no investment can guarantee a 95% win rate. No investment can guarantee anything really, uh, in this world. So that's number one. Make sure the opportunity, you are capable of handling risk with it. Uh, So whatever the investment is, can you handle that level of risk? What happens if you lost it all? So really, really think about that because nothing is guaranteed. And don't ever believe that, number one. Is that a good place to start? That's a great start. good start, you bet. You know, what I find, Hillary, is that people are getting pressured to buy. Yeah. Um, there is a time frame. If you buy now, otherwise you're going to lose out on your opportunity, so on and so forth. Let's talk about that red flag. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Thank you. That We hear that time and time again. Um, fraudsters love to use that, right? Get in now yeah. because they they really want you to get in before you go away and do your homework and realize that mm, maybe there's a few things here that you're not comfortable with. And And so that pressure happens all the time. And here's what we know for sure. Every legitimate investment, you have time. You have time to research it. You have time to make sure you're comfortable with it and to make sure that it fits in with your financial plan, whatever that plan looks like. So that pressure, it, it, that should be a huge red flag because legitimate investments, you have, you often have, um, I, I say that because I'm trying to think of any example I've heard of where there wasn't at least a day 
to check out and do your own research and make sure you were comfortable with the company or comfortable with whatever it was. Well, it's so, important to remember there's other deals too. Like it's there's no yes. lack of deals to ever participate in, right? So if That's you miss right. one, trust me, there's another one coming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How about well, that, this? I know I know a guy. I got I got I've got yeah. some information. Well, and that's the, thank you. Yes, and that's the really good, that was the next piece from where you were where you were just going with yeah. you know there's lots of deals out there. Yeah. They also try the you know I got inside information or special information or yeah. I I know, exactly I know a guy right. Well, you know they may they may have more knowledge um, than you, but trading on inside information or special mm-hmm. information is illegal. <laughs> it, so. <laughs> You yep. don't want to trust that anyway, yeah, exactly. right? That's that's a so and and quite often they don't have any more information, but they're using it to hook you, right? Yeah. It's like you said, it's that emotion of oh, I don't want to miss out on this, right? right? That fear of missing out, yeah. so you jump in. Hillary, and, I, I've seen um, many individuals talk about this, and I use this as an analogy. Most Canadians will check the registration of an advisor like they would check the license of a pilot. They just don't do it. That's they right. They just don't do it. That's we take exactly. the assumption when we get on a plane that the pilot is licensed because the company that we're buying the ticket from is has done their due diligence. But when they go into an, an advisor, regardless if they're with a major financial institution or not, it is not being checked. That's exactly it. And I'm going to go one more. We do more research when we can travel. And I know I've said this with you guys before around mm-hmm. vacations. Yeah. Or even around dates, right? We do way more research about a date before we, you know, go out there and have a coffee with somebody or a dinner with somebody. But you're right. People don't check the registration. But that's what's critical because if you're not registered, and there is, by the way, no such thing as a CSA accredited trader. (laughs) Um, So people have to be registered to sell or trade securities uh, in the in the province and. And if they're not, that's a huge red flag, because uh, most often the the significant frauds that we've seen cross our desks, um, it's because people, you know, got involved with somebody that built trust with them, and they were not registered, and they it ended up being a scam, and people's money was was lost. So registration is a fundamental, and it's easily accessible. You can reach it from our website. Right from checkfirst.ca, you can go to and and check out either a firm name or an individual name mm-hmm. to make sure that they're registered. So it's key. Hillary, you you've mentioned on this show many times to get independent professional advice. Can we explain to our listeners there's a difference between getting independent professional advice and looking for a confirmation to your beliefs? Yes. <laughs> oh, so well said. Um, you know, the person that's involved in whatever investment opportunity is not independent. They're biased. They're inherently biased because they're selling this cool opportunity, whether it's legitimate or not. There are people. Um, I mean, whether it's a, whether it's an advisor, a financial advisor, or someone, even an accountant or a lawyer um, that you might know. So often we have these connections within our communities and it's very easy to reach out to them and say, I just want to gut check something with you. Mm-hmm. I just I just want to talk this through with you. Obviously, a financial advisor is, is probably the best in terms of looking at specific trades and those kinds of things. But you know what? 
lawyers and accountants, they can they can help you talk through something or mm-hmm. help you, um, you know, find a path and to get more information or to do the research you need to do to feel comfortable. I think and, one and, question to add to that, Hillary, is that the individual should be asking what could go wrong. So whenever yeah. Dave and I are building an investment portfolio for our clients and we're doing due diligence on an investment that we're not directly investing in ourselves, so we're using a fund or another manager, um, we... We actually do our due diligence and the questions that we ask to them and their competitors and other individuals that we get advice from, we ask, what could go wrong? Exactly. What could possibly go wrong with this and how will it impact our clients? I think if individuals do that, where they start saying, okay, give me the worst case scenario. What could really go wrong here? And are they willing to take on that risk? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Hillary, I love that question. We have to wrap this up very quickly, but I do want to draw attention to the fact that it is uh, March is a very special month um, uh, for you guys because it's Fraud Prevention Month, and there's a bunch of programs. If if anybody wants information on what you're doing, educate themselves. How do they contact you guys? Where do they go? Oh, check first. So checkfirst.ca is the best resource, right? It's not only does it have information that anyone at any stage in their you know, financial journey, right? We're all at different stages. Um, and there's lots of information on checkfirst.ca, but Fraud Prevention Month, um, we're actually super excited. We're doing some fun things this year um, because we recognize that there's a huge increase in the people between the ages of 18 and 30 uh, getting interested in investments, getting into investments. And mm-hmm. um, and so we're actually focusing all of our efforts around that audience group. And we're going to uh, we're going to do some fun things, uh, and I mean that genuinely. We're having some fun. I just don't want to. I don't want to spoil the surprise. But it's coming. <laughs> we'll it's bring coming. you on next month so you can tell us all about That's it. That's right. That? We'll, we'll have you on in March. That's right, Hillary. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We've been joined by Hillary McMeekin, as a director of communications and investor education at the Alberta Securities Commission. All right, my friend. That's. Um, we got to we got to make all this make sense in real life, and we're doing that at our, our upcoming seminar. Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, February twenty third, seven p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stick around after the break to find out how to maximize the value that you'll get when selling your business. You're on seven seventy CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on seven seventy CHQR and more than money. Um, there's comes a time in a business owner's life where they might think about retiring, and uh, part of that retirement might, in fact includes selling their business, perhaps the biggest asset they've accumulated over time. Yeah, that's been their their savings vehicle yeah. for the future, and they need to sell this business. There's a lot of questions that come up when you want to sell a business. One of them is, how do you do it? Second one is, what's the value of it? And so forth. Yeah. Like, there's a lot to think about. And so we need to bring some experts to talk about this. We've got Elizabeth McRae, President and Certified Exit Planning Advisor with Commercial Ventures. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, gentlemen. Happy to be here. So, Elizabeth, we've, we, um, we've got to dig in real fast on this. For all of those people that are listening right now, um, if, they, if they've owned a business, what they've spent is the majority of their life building that business. And I'm not sure that a lot of thought gets given as you're building that business to what that exit or, or you know, how you sell that asset at the end of the day. So for somebody that, that's at that stage and they're starting to think about this now, how do you prepare your business for sale? We really recommend starting with preparing for the due diligence period, which is once once you've accepted an offer uh, on your company and, and the buyer really starts to dig into um, the operations, the logistics, they're trying to validate everything that you presented to them in your company, they're trying to verify it. Um, preparing for that stage is one of the most critical pieces before engaging with conversations um, with buyers. 
Now, are, are there things that, that somebody should be doing? Again, when, when somebody's operating a business, say a small family-owned business, they might be doing things from an accounting perspective that doesn't necessarily maximize the value of that business when they're going to sell it. So are there things that, that people should be thinking about in advance of, uh, or maybe you're saying in the due diligence, how you make those adjustments? What are some of the common things people need to be thinking about here? Absolutely. So one of the most common things, and we look at all the value drivers, and there are a suite of value drivers aside from the financials that a buyer really looks at. Uh, One of the most common pitfalls that we see is owner reliance. Mm -hmm. So, so many businesses are owner managed and a buyer's concerned about that. They're concerned that when you remove the owner, what is going to be left and remaining in that business? What about the intangible value? Is the intangible value of that business transferable from the existing owner to the new owner? And that plays into the risk factor and therefore plays into uh, how much a buyer is willing to pay because they're looking at it from a perspective of risk and and, and investment uh, as as well as for a number of other reasons uh, related specifically to that buyer because every buyer looks at a business uniquely and they look at it from their own lens. Is, is that why, uh, Elizabeth, where and I'm talking more about the small uh, businesses where they ask for the owner to stay on board for a certain period of time for transition? Um, I, I've talked to many business owners about this and they're like, I just want the other owner to stay on so that the transition's easier. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that a signal that there's an owner reliance on that on that business? Very much so, very much so. You know, it's it's in your best interest to be able to present to a new buyer that that the company can run without you because it's it reduces risk. And if they're if they are perceiving an element of risk, they are absolutely going to ask the retiring owner to stay on for a period of time. And it can look a lot of different ways, whether it's an employment contract or it's a consulting agreement. Um, you know, that involvement is really related to how they operate the business currently, but it's a, it's a huge factor. So selling a business is a little bit more complicated, Faisal, obviously, than, you know, say selling a house, right? You can wake up in the morning, you could say, I'm going to sell my house. You could pretty quickly execute on making that, um, you know, at least making the offer, getting the, the house on the market. With a business, Elizabeth, it's not so much. There's some prep work that needs to be done. So it's not like you wake up today and say, I'm selling my business today. So, so what should somebody prepare them? Well, you know, set some expectations for a business owner as they're preparing their business for sale. What is that going to, what's that going to look like, and how much time is that going to take? Time is a really good, uh, good question. Um, you know, some recommendations that we can make would be, you know, having contracts in place, making sure those contracts are transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, any business that has an, an element of subscription, membership, recurring revenue will often get a higher, a higher value. Um, the the quality of the financial reporting, how 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 much uh, information can be pulled, um, and in in what way can it be formatted? Because a buyer wants to know customer concentration, they want to know uh, trends, they want to see you know future projections. It's one of the things that the lenders are really leaning toward too. They want to see projections. What's the future of this of this company? And it can really depend on who the acquirer is that that can you know, what skill sets do they bring to the table to be able to carry this company forward into the future kind of thing as well. Um, yeah, that go into the factors. So Elizabeth, when, when a buyer is looking at a business 
and they're looking at the financials, in their mind, they're thinking of, I'll call it a valuation that they're prepared to pay for. Some sort of multiple of either of revenue or of net earnings, and they can think that they can either do a bit of better job so they can make a better return on that investment. Um, unfortunately, most sellers of businesses think their business is worth way more than what the financials may show. What, what kind of, of um, rule of thumb approach should the seller be prepared for when it comes to selling? And I'll give you an example. I was given an offer to purchase a business. The profit, Dave, check this out. Profit, 60000 The guy wanted $600,000 for the business. $60,000 annual income. He wanted me to pay 10 times net earnings. I wouldn't make a dime for 10 years unless I grow at a faster rate. So my skill set better be more than what the intrinsic value of the company is. I had a concern. I said, you're, you're out to lunch. So we have business owners who are, who are just literally asking for astronomical numbers because they think their business is worth more. What's, what's that rule of thumb that both buyers and sellers need to be aware of when they're ready to make an offer? Very good question. Uh, and I have to be careful about answering this because sometimes it really depends on the size of the company. It depends how owner-operated, how owner-reliant it is. Uh, and industry can play a big factor as well. Um, three is three times multiple is probably the average for small businesses. And I say that delicately. Um, you know, industry-wise, you know, if they're involved in tech, they can get much higher multiples at times. Um, but the biggest critical factor that we're seeing is vendor financing, meaning the actual seller becomes one of the lenders. So it's almost like a tiered approach where the buyer comes in with a portion of capital, the, the financial institutions are putting in a portion, and the seller is vendor financing a portion, meaning the buyer pays them directly over a period of time within a specific um, you know, criteria or, or established agreement that, they, that they've come to a mutual point about. Now, that piece is something that business owners are not always prepared to receive an offer with a vendor financing component. And it's becoming much, much more common. So it's definitely something that, that we recommend them looking into and being aware of uh, before they start this process. We've got um, just maybe a minute or two left, uh, Elizabeth. And I'd like, so if somebody's interested in selling the business, but nobody's approached them, so this is their initiative, how do you find a buyer? Great question. Um, there's four types of, four categories of buyers, essentially. There's individual buyers who are, are, are looking for lifestyle. They're entrepreneurship through acquisition. There's strategic buyers, existing companies looking to grow through acquisition. And it could be, you know, horizontally or vertically in another um from another industry, and it's your complementary. It could be they're expanding through through geography. Uh, there's financial buyers, private equity companies, um, and then new, the most newest ca- category is social buyers. You know, cooperatives, nonprofits, municipalities buying companies. So there are options out there. There's lots of people buying companies right now. Um, it's just a matter of understanding where you fit in that scope of buyers. And if uh, people want to chat with you about selling their business, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, Commercial Ventures website is the best place to reach me, um, as well as LinkedIn, um, Elizabeth McRae, M-A-C, on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to chat with business owners, and we also teach uh, exit planning courses. Very good. Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time today. Great. Thanks, guys. Okay, Take we've care. been joined by Elizabeth McRae, who is the President and Certified Exit Planning Advisor at Commercial Ventures. 
you know, uh, regardless of where the money comes from, whether it's selling a business, um, it's leaving just good savings, whatever the case may be. The fact is, whatever that those assets are, the reconstruction of those assets when you move into retirement, it has to support a lifestyle. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that'll be, we'll have that on our webinar on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Are you worried about outliving your money and blowing up your retirement? Stick around after the break. We'll help you understand how to protect yourself. Here on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. I like that. You've been practicing. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. I teased before the break, Faisal, about this notion of outliving your money. Of all the people that we talk to, and we talk to lots of people, that is one of the biggest concerns they have. Oh, my God, like... Can I support myself through my whole retirement? Am I going to run out of money? And it's not only the people that we're talking to. This is imperial evidence oh, yeah. around the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this absolutely. is a global fear yeah. when it comes to retirement right. is outliving your money. Right. And what people think about, and it's funny, oh. I think, this, because when you ask them, you know, um, when should I take my Canadian pension plan? Right. And in most cases, it's defer to your 70. Right. Well, I'm not going to live that long, so why should I take it? On the flip side, they're like, well, what if I live to 90, 95 years of age and I don't have enough money? So it's, it's a duality in yeah. thought. I was going to say exactly that. So, so people worry about that, right? And on the other hand, right, what they're, they're, they're thinking about is, is I, I'm, I'm not going to live that long, right? Everybody tends to underestimate how long they're going to live. And it's evident in that question that we ask about uh, or the conversation around the CPP. So, so let me give you some actual data from actuaries mm -hmm. of insurance companies yep. because they look at longevity or how long you're going to live, life expectancy, because they got to pay out some money when That's you pass right. away. So this is, this is people who's got money on, it, on the line here. Yep. Okay. There is a 50% probability of a 65-year-old man living to the age of 89. Yep. There is a 50% probability for a woman to live two years older, longer, to 91. Right. Now you got a coin flip that you're going to live to at least 89 if you're male, 91 if you're female, and everybody thinks they're going to pass away before that. Yeah. At 70. <laughs> they do. But it's weird how we think about it. When we when the question gets asked, it depends on the way it was asked, it you get a very different and I get the emotion and I get the the duality that I was talking about from our perspective, here's where we start to get a little bit more anxious, worried, nervous. Mm -hmm is we have to think about a whole bunch of things on behalf of the client. Number one, when you take your Canadian pension plan. Number two, old age security. For those who are lucky enough to have a defined benefit pension plan with or without a spouse that have different outcomes on when do you take your pension, how much do you take, uh, do, you, do, you, do you take a pension that has a benefit for your spouse and what kind of benefit, like these are, these are hard questions. The big one, of course, is tax. Mm -hmm. If you uh, don't anticipate to live long, you would maybe paying too much tax. Like these are these are whole bunch of levers that you have to work with and pull given some assumption that we're going to make that you're going to live for a certain number of years. And think about the difference in the outcome based on that assumption, right? So we deal with an awful lot of people that want to do some financial planning being very conservative around that. The implication of that being conservative, extending the lifestyle, is it reduces the spend. Right, So it may actually bring down the amount of money that you could spend in your lifestyle today. We've got lots of people at the other end of that. Whoa, Dave, I'm, uh, listen, I'm young and I'm healthy right now. 
I want to front end this thing and I want to spend a ton now. Yeah. What's it going to look like? Yeah, later? I want to enjoy more now because when I get older, I'll be yeah. I won't be able to spend as much. So I'm going to, which is possible. There's it's well. mathematically possible, but we have to take into this concept of that you're going to live to a certain age. So in our team, we use ninety to ninety five years of age. Right. If you tell me you're not going to live long, with ninety. Right. If you tell me you have longevity in your family, I say let's look ninety five unless you tell me longer. Right. And there is a substantial difference in your numbers, the amount of taxes you pay, when you should be withdrawing on stuff. All this, there's a big difference if you balance from a life expectancy of eighty. Yep. A life expectancy of ninety. A life expectancy of hundred. Ten years makes a huge, huge. difference. Yep. Huge. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars you will need in savings just for living 10 years longer. Right. So you need to look at these numbers and you need to be conservative with your expectations on rates of return in your portfolio because this is what they'll do. You'll have some people in our industry and some individuals who will say, well, great. If I'm not, if I'm going to live to 100, just put my minimum rate of return that I need at eight, nine, 10%. I'm fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. I shouldn't be laughing, but it's true. And it's and, not real. And I get the math. Right. Just make me more money so I cannot uh, have to worry about outliving my cash. I get that. You just can't make it. Right. You have to earn it through the volatility of what's called the markets. Right. And the probability of making 10% on average over any 10-year period since 1935 is 1 in 3. Right. There's a 33% chance you're going to be able to do it. Now I ask, are you sure you want to rate, increase the rate of return or adjust the lifestyle to match your life expectancy? Right. And it's a delicate balance. And, and you know, we, we often talk about um, specializing in retirement and, and why that's important. And this is a pretty important piece of it, right? Because the assumptions that you make in that plan, if you're overly conservative, it could truly just bring down the experience you're going to have in your lifestyle while you're young and healthy, yeah. right? So... This is an area where there is some wiggle room, like there's some expertise needed and experience needed in how that actually is going to play out, Correct. right? The rules of thumb could be problematic in this particular case. So just keep that in mind, right? If the goal is to, and most of us are mortal, right? Most of us just don't have so much money sloshing around that it just doesn't matter what we do. Correct. So there are some decisions, there's some assumptions, some, some guidance that you need in order to make sure it is a realistic picture. And then you have to update it. Hi, Dave, I had a person on this show call us up, chatted with me, sent me their financial plan. So kudos for you to having a financial plan. Right on. In the financial plan, it had life expectancy at 80. 80. 80. Yep. This person is 65. Okay. And I said, well, mm, here's my, my concern. Yeah, what's going on at 80? When will you decide that you're not going to live to 80? You might live longer. And he goes... Well, I don't know, maybe at 79. You're going to make a change to your retirement plan at 79 when you're going to live, outlive 80? You've been planning to use all of your money or most of your money right. at the, by the age of 80. Now you're telling me you're going to change that plan at 79? Right. You don't have much time to adjust no, a plan. It's impossible. And you, you get ready to the, to the worst case scenarios out there. I don't know, like selling your house or reverse mortgages or issues that we see that come or up. Or worse. Or yeah. worse. Yeah. And if you have higher expenses as you're over the age of 80, which is possible considering long-term care and the cost of that and so forth, how are you going to cover this? How was the age of 80 chosen, did you find out? I asked that question. I go, where did you pick that number from? And he goes, no, this is what the advisor recommended. Uh, that's the worst. I go, is that your, are you sure? You, you didn't tell him it's your family or you've got 
some, you know, you're, you don't think you're going to live that long or no, he just picked that number. We never even had a life expectancy conversation. I said, who did you do your plan with? Oh, he does investments. That was the first comment. Not a, he's a retirement transition specialist. Right. So when you have a retirement plan, make sure that the assumptions are somewhat correct. Yeah. Like they're, and, and they're conservative. Yeah. Conservative means you're going to live to a hundred. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's. And uh, what's wrong with that? What if I built a plan for a person and I said, you're going to have enough money to a hundred and they don't live that long. Oh, darn. You got too much money. Right. Yeah. Your state will get it. Right. And then we have to figure that problem out. But again, I go back to, is it, it what's realistic? What are we solving for in that problem? Right. And that's what a financial plan should do. And remember, you can change the assumptions in the financial plan to solve for different problems. Correct. And, and again, this is important, right? It's not a static document. It's certainly never intended unless you have some medical condition that says, you know, it's unlikely you're going to live past 80. You would never. The, the Certified Financial Planning Board would never endorse they age 80. They have 95. Right, as a, as a planning standard. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things that, that you've got to understand the purpose of the document and then... As a client, Here, as, here's the you've thing. Got to be educated. Many people just want to know the answer. They're going to be okay. Right. So, can, will I be okay? Yeah. I I can put any number into a, yep. a retirement software to make you feel that you're going to be okay. Just right. invest with me. Right. That's the mindset. Right. That's the mindset. So beware of this, everybody. And you know, we, we we've got a saying we talk about often. When is bad news good news? Bad news is good news when you get it in time to fix it. Yeah not at 79 and you're going to live longer than 80, right? That is bad news is bad news. Yeah. The biggest risk to, that I see for people is not that they have to take on risk in the market. Right. It's that they're going to outlive their money. Right. Right. And we tend to underestimate. People tend to underestimate truly how long they're going to live. Right. So just make sure when you're thinking through that, there are medical conditions that do adjust that. There are legitimate cases where age 80 might be appropriate. But certainly not for the average it's, person. It's a small percentage small, of the population small, that, small, that should small. keep it that way. Very specific reasons. Yeah. And so, again, beware of what you have in your retirement plan. If you don't have a retirement plan, get one. Yeah, get one and, and make sure you understand the assumptions. And then, gosh, speak, make sure you yeah. update it every three years At so least. it continues to be accurate. Correct. And, and speak to a professional about all this because you want to make sure that you're working with professionals before you have any of those types of assumptions in, implemented in your in your retirement plan. Okay, go let's, uh, let's wrap it up. That was another good, uh, good show. All right. Thanks for listening to More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.